So we're going to read um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and then we're going to read all of chapter 2. And just to kind of bring you up to where we are, Jonah has just been tossed into the sea. So there you go. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. He's been tossed overboard from a boat uh, in the middle of the sea, and that's where we left him at the end of last week. Um, and uh, so here we go. Chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And we will stop right there. So that's pretty crazy, right? Um... I like that you have the crazy thing at the beginning and the crazy thing at the end and then just nice, pretty, like, poetry stuff in the middle. Uh, like, wow, that's a lot that happens. So uh, we all know this as the best. This is the part that we all know the best from Jonah's account, from the story of Jonah's life. This is the part that we know the best. Him getting swallowed by a fish, spending three days in there, just like in Pinocchio, right? Like, and what happened in the belly of that fish how could God, how could God like, cause that to happen? How miraculous is something like that? We know this part well, but there's something that has occurred to me, which is that the space in between where we ended last week and this first verse from this week, what happens in between those two verses has got to be the defining moment of Jonah's life as a person. There's actually, we, we know about it because he talks about it after the fact, inside of the belly of this fish, which is what we read about in the majority of this passage. Jonah is recounting what happened to him after he was thrown into the sea. I think it's safe to say that things have gone from bad to worse for Jonah, right? So we said last week that Jonah um, was, Jonah was basically doing what we all do, when we sin or when we run from God, which is he was trying to find the path of least resistance. He was trying to find an easier way forward. God called him to do something. He was like, that's way too hard. Uh, 
God leads us to live a certain way. We say, that's way too hard. That costs too much. That's going to be too difficult. That's not the way I want my life to go. So we choose to go another way. Why? Because we think it will lead to less pain. It will be easier. It will be more enjoyable, more pleasurable, or we'll have more freedom if we go opposite from God's direction. But what we find, we said last week, is the opposite. We find that running from God and we find that sin that we commit in our lives leads to destruction. It leads to more pain. Things don't get easier. They might get easier in the short term, but we end up finding ourselves in situations where no matter how hard we try, things just keep falling apart. This is what's happening to Jonah. He's been thrown into the ocean, and he says, we read about this, that, that, that uh, he, gets, he gets swallowed up by, the, by a fish. He gets basically rescued from drowning by being in the belly of a fish. I mean, how bad is your life that getting swallowed by a fish and being in its belly is like, someone saved me, right? This is the happy ending to my story because that is how bad things have gotten for Jonah. This guy is literally like in the worst place that he could possibly be. And it seems like Jonah that we knew last week and before is different than the Jonah that we read about here in this passage. Why? Because something has happened to Jonah. Something has happened to him in the midst of this situation, in these circumstances, like sinking down into the depths that has actually changed him like on a fundamental level. If you get thrown overboard into the sea, here's what's going to happen. You're going to drown. It doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are, you're not that good of a swimmer. It doesn't matter how smart you are, you're not smart enough to somehow get your way out of drowning eventually in the sea. It doesn't matter how long you can hold your breath, how good at treading water you are, how good at inventing things. It doesn't matter any of those things, no matter who you are. If a person is thrown into the sea off of a boat that's been traveling far away from land, that person is going to drown. Jonah has been thrown into the sea, and he now has no hope. And so after swimming for a while, he begins to sink. And Jonah now describes afterwards in the belly of this fish what it's like for him to start to sink deeper and deeper into the sea. He says this. He says, For you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Do you hear what Jonah's doing here? Is he's saying, you did this, God. You cast me into the sea. These are your waves. God is the one who made the storm. God is the one who made it so that ultimately Jonah would get tossed overboard after he decided to go in this ship to try to run away from his call to preach to the people of Nineveh. He says, your flood is what surrounded me. Your waves, your billows are all passing over me. Basically, you, God, have caused this thing to happen. You've brought this about in my life. And as a result of it, I'm drowning now. He ultimately says that the waters are closing in over me. They're going to take my life. The deep has surrounded me. I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Not only did you cast me in, God, but you've thrown me to the bottom. I've begun to sink further and further down. This isn't the first step of the pool. This isn't like the shallow part of the ocean where you see the sand crabs coming up and bubbling up. This is the deep end of the pool. And now he's letting him sink 
further and further. All the waves and the billows, all the storm, all the activity on the surface, it's all gone now because he's going further down as he begins to drown and his life begins to end. Now he says, I'm surrounded by the deep. Now I'm surrounded by the seaweed itself. It's wrapping around my head. It's consuming me, he says. Why on earth would this be happening to Jonah? Why is it that God would do this? You see, what Jonah is describing here is something that we do know well. And it is this. He's describing what we call rock bottom. He is describing circumstances in which God has taken him and placed him into a situation where he is coming to the end of himself. He is getting as low as he will ever get in his entire life. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than that, right? Sinking down into the sea alone, knowing that you have no other hope. Nothing can save you at that point. You can't save yourself. When we think about those words, rock bottom, right? The, the idea of, like a, of a person getting lower, so low that they can't possibly go any lower. We think about people who are addicts. We think about people who are alcoholics, people who have abuse problems and, and things in their life that are so destructive to them that they just have to get to a point where they've lost everything and that's the point where they can't go any lower. That's what we say. We call that rock bottom, hitting rock bottom. People will often think, I've reached the bottom, only to find that they haven't. How do they know they haven't? Only because they go even lower. God is bringing Jonah into a place where he is hitting bottom. Why would God do that to him? Well, we see something happen in Jonah, and he's talking about the whole experience here, and that thing that happens to him tells us why God would do this And it's this, God will bring us to the bottom. He will do that in our lives and to us. And the reason he will do that is because that is the place where God changes us. That is the place where God transforms us. Jonah needed to be changed. He needed to be transformed. This guy was like a lousy prophet. I mean, he had a bunch of sailors literally making it easy as they could. Tell us about your God. Tell us what's going on here. Tell us what's causing this. Couldn't have been more of a ground ball that they threw to him and uh, that they rolled to him. And what does, he, what does he do? He does everything wrong. Something needs to change in this guy's heart. Something needs to change in him. And God intends to do that. But the only way that God's going to do that is by bringing Jonah to the end of himself. This is one of the hardest truths of life is the fact that this is the way that we work. That it is not until we reach the end of ourselves that God can truly come in and become what he is meant to be in our lives. And until that happens, we can't really experience the transformation and the change that we even long for. We want it, we look forward to it, but we want it on our terms. And God knows that that's not how we work. I read this before. He said, the waters closed in over me to take my life. They're they're closing in over on top of me. The deep is surrounding me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I mean, we, yeah, that's, 
He's remembering vividly exactly what it was like to sink through seaweed, through all the junk in the water, to have it tangle him up. He gets so low that he says, at the roots of the mountains, meaning like where the the land comes down and meets the ocean floor, that's how low I've gotten. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now, is it, is, it, is it likely that Jonah actually went all the way to the bottom of the ocean? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that there are big fish down there, and I also think that he would have, you know, exploded or imploded or whatever happens to somebody when they get a certain depth. I also think that he probably didn't go down to Sheol. He didn't go down to a place like the, like the, the, like the underworld or a place where it felt like bars closed in on him and he was now separated from all of creation and God himself. He's describing how he felt because of how low he was getting and how alone and how dark things were. He's describing how deep he is. What he's describing is the lowest point that anybody can get to. We can suffer, we can lose so much, we can experience pain, but there is still room to go. There is still pain that could actually come. And the thing about being at bottom like this is that it is different for everyone. There are different things that lead us to this place, that that take us to this place. For, for so many people, it ends up being a matter of just things like relationships. If you want to read a psalm or something in the Bible from a person who's truly in despair, read Psalm 88 sometime. Psalm 88, written by this psalmist, is describing a person in deep, dark despair. And what they say is this. They say, the, they, they say I'm down in the pit. I'm in the grave. Does that sound familiar? That's how Jonah talks. And when they describe what it is that makes them feel this way, the psalmist says this, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. They say, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So what the psalmist is saying is they're saying that the despair that they're feeling, the lowness that they've reached is like characterized by the fact that the people who were their friends have abandoned them. The people who were close to them have betrayed them, have ignored them. Those relationships are over. This is one of the most painful things that we can experience. And for some of us, for many of us, reaching that feeling, that rock bottom feeling, that that place of despair even, is, is often the result of just the relationships around us falling apart. The relationships around us eroding. The people who we once trusted betraying us. The people that we were close with, that we grew up with, the people that we share life with, um, for whatever reason, not being there anymore with us. Isolation and loneliness and betrayal, pain with people, all of those things. For some of us, for many of us, like getting down to the bottom of the depths, simply it doesn't have to do with anything other than where we're at with the people around us. It is the feeling of being alone, the feeling of not having anyone when you had people before. You know, we can, we can think that we don't need people that much, that we don't need relationships that much, but aren't we often surprised by how much we can be hurt in situations? 
Often it's by looking back on them. It's by realizing how long we've been carrying around baggage or pain or resentment, how hard it is to really forgive or to move on, how much we try to brush things under the rug and keep going, only to realize years later, this is still really, really painful for me. Why? Because when we feel those things, people do matter more than many of us think. They hurt us more than we might think, and it puts us in a place where we feel like we've lost everything. For a lot of people, this has to do with like the stability that comes from the resources that you have, your, your money, your finances, the safety and security you have in that. Job is someone that we read about in the Old Testament who loses all of his material wealth and security um, like overnight. And as he does that, he, he describes the pain that he feels in that. He says, uh, God has walled up my way, which is the same thing that the psalmist says about themselves. I'm shut in, I'm locked in, my way is walled up. Job says, I cannot pass. God has set darkness upon my path. He has stripped from me my glory and taken my crown from my head. So he is made to feel without all of these people around him and these things that, that make him wealthy and give him the ability to be self-sufficient. He feels like his glory has been robbed, his hands are tied, he's helpless, he can't do anything that he could do before. He's utterly at the end of himself. And it's just because he's lost the financial stability that he once had. For some of us, it's, it's accusations and it's conflict. It's your integrity being questioned or feeling like you're an enemy of people, feeling like you're misunderstood, feeling like no matter what you say or do, that you won't really be able to defend yourself. You won't really be able to explain yourself. People will misunderstand you. People might think bad things about you. Feeling like that can just drive us crazy and make us feel like, well, then what's the point, right? And we begin to feel the despair. For some and for many, it isn't even about specific circumstances. There are just points in life that you can't even exactly say, here's why this is happening, that you begin to feel anxiety and despair or depression creep in. You begin to look at the circumstances of your life and say, I shouldn't feel this bad, uh, but I do. I'm afraid of lots of things. I'm down because of lots of things. And the result of that is you feeling like you're at the end of yourself. Like you've reached a point where you've gotten as low as a person can go. Why does God do this to Jonah? Why does he allow Jonah to get to this place where he is sinking to the very depths of the sea? Because God wants to do something in him. And he's only going to do it in that place. He has to lead him to the bottom of the pit, to the end. And I think that one of the hardest things for us to hear, wrap our mind around is this idea that it is because God loves us that he brings us to this place. That it is because God loves us that he allows us to go to this place of real pain. It's because of what he wants to do in us that he does that. So Jonah is sinking down to the depths. He is coming to the end of himself, but God doesn't let him perish. God doesn't crush him. God doesn't steal his life. Why is it possible for God to do something in this place that he doesn't do otherwise? There's, there's different reasons for it, but I think one of the clearest things is that this is the place where Jonah is able to actually 
hear God. He's able to actually see God where he couldn't before. God brings us uh, to the bottom because it is often only in that place that we're actually going to begin to hear him, to listen to him, to listen for him. One of my favorite things about being a parent is scaring my kids. It's like one of the best, one of my favorite parts about it. I don't know why, I just enjoy frightening my children. I was talking to my son last night when he was going to bed and I was like, we were talking about toys and stuff and I was like, his birthday's coming up. I was like, would you be excited if I bought you one of those like marionette ventriloquist dolls and I just sat it in a chair in your room and it stared at you while you slept? And he said, no, I wouldn't think that was funny. I'd think that was scary. And I was saying like, I'd come in and I'd like do little footsteps on your dresser, you know, and stuff and like whisper things. I, I, he said, Dad, I, I would think that was scary. Um, and he's very proud right now and telling me that nothing scares him, and even that scared him. So now I'm just like, how do I not do it, right? But, you know, one of the things you learn as a parent is you're really not supposed to do that. It messes up your kids. They have trauma and all that stuff. So when my kids were really young, it's just like, how can I scare my kids and not get not really mess them up? And, um, and then I realized that if you ever really want to have just like, if you ever really just, really just want to get freaked out, just, just turn off all the lights late at night and turn on some documentary, some nature documentary about either the deepest parts of the ocean or the deepest caves that exist on the planet. It is the most terrifying thing that you will ever see. Um, I mean, just absolutely terrifying. Like the things that exist in the depths of the ocean, the things that exist in the bottom of some caves in this world are like, yikes, you've got to be kidding me right now, right? Like, we've all seen that anglerfish thing, right, with the light over it. No, thank you, right? Uh, No, thank you. You see, when things live in those places, um, it gets so cold, it gets so dark, it gets so silent that their very senses are different than things that live outside of those places. Because the truth is that as you get down further and further and further into the depths, you begin to, like, it begins to get quiet. Uh, A lot of the things that, that, that were there, the noise, are not there anymore. And this is one of the things that we see is that things kind of slow down. The, the, the other stuff, the noise, kind of fades away. And we gain something that we don't have the rest of our life, the rest of the time, which is we gain perspective. It's in this place that I think Jonah is able to finally start listening for God. Finally start hearing from God. Finally consider looking back to God. It is in this place where, like, it's finally quiet enough and dark enough, and he's... Honestly, he's alone enough to be able to do that. But I think that uh, we read this in Jonah 2, 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. It is because he's in this place that he finally cries out and calls out to God. He finally turns his face back to God. It is in this place. Why am I saying that I think the most defining moment in Jonah's entire life happens in between one verse and in between another verse? Is it's because it is in between those two verses that he is alone sinking in the depths that he is brought to a place at the end of himself where he finally is going to reach out to God. This is something that is so huge. It's not being at the bottom, the rock bottom, that is going to change someone. It is turning to God in that. It is actually turning to God in the midst of that 
and speaking to him, reaching out to him, seeking God in that. The reason that God can change us in these places and these times is because he meets us there in that place and that time. If we believe that he can. Here's the thing. God does not just want us hitting rock bottom and then somehow getting ourselves back up from there. The point is not that we're supposed to become more determined people with greater perseverance who develop grit. We're supposed to be people who lower our expectations of life so we become sadder just all the time, and that's part of what it means to like be mature or something. That We're supposed to become cynical. We're supposed to realize that relationships weren't ever good, and the money wasn't ever good, and the, the health wasn't ever good, and being understood by people around us wasn't ever something that was supposed to matter. That's not the point of God bringing us to the bottom. This isn't about figuring myself out and learning enough about myself that I can come back stronger the next time as a better, different version of myself. This isn't about overcoming the weaknesses that got me here. This isn't about making better goals or developing a thicker skin. This isn't about better self-care and better uh, ways of living. This isn't about coming back stronger. That's not why God brings us to that place. He brings us to this place not so that we can just get through it or survive or figure it out on our own. He brings us to this place because it is in this place that we reach out to him and cry out to him. God did not transform Jonah just because he was in the depths. He did it because Jonah prayed to him. I called, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. We read that in verse one of this chapter. I mean, you think about the things that have to happen in a person's life, in our lives, for us to actually then be able to say, verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Out of the, from the belly of the fish, he prayed to the Lord. Then Ed prayed to the Lord. At the bottom of the bottom, at the lowest of the low, when he didn't think he could get any lower, then he prayed to the Lord. One of the things that has amazed me about going through difficult times in life is that I can talk all about God with people in those times. I can listen to people tell me all about God and encourage me. I can, I can even read uh, the Bible. I can read books about the thing. In fact, I'm way more likely to go find a, a Christian book about whatever got me into this depth, right? Like, oh man, I'm sinking. Give me a book. Amazon, what do I do? I'm sinking. Google, what do I do, right? Somebody give me some solution. Somebody help me out of this pit. I will grab for whatever I possibly can. I will talk to people about all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. But do you know you know what like the last thing sometimes that I'm actually going to do is is cry out to God is actually just cry out to God myself to turn to him and say God meet me in this place and I think it's important that we read that Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord in my distress out of my distress and he answered me Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. There is nowhere that we can be that God is not going to find us. There is nowhere. Jonah is in a place where it probably seems like like he's completely alone. You see, this is what's so hard about reaching rock bottom, is that it's one of the loneliest places that there is. If you've been in this place, you know No one understands what I'm going through. 
no one really can go through this with me. In fact, maybe you try as hard as you can. Maybe you know people who, when you know they're at rock bottom because that's all they talk about. They're telling everyone they can. They're trying to get people to understand and to relate and to figure it out, but it isn't going to work that way. Many people know that that won't work that way, and so you just don't talk to anyone about it. You just keep it all inside. You're going through it by yourself. But the thing about sinking to the depths of the ocean is you are by, you are alone. Even if you start sinking with somebody else, unless you hold hands all the way down, you're going to be on your own eventually. And it's in that place, in that isolation, when you're completely by yourself, that you're not completely by yourself, and you're not completely in isolation. And God breaks through if we will cry out to him and we'll look to him. This is where so many of us can get stuck. We can focus so much on enduring the thing, on getting through the thing, on surviving the thing alone, that we don't actually think to turn to him and to talk to him, to cry out to him. Jonah goes on and he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and I prayed to you. My prayer came to you. Into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So he's saying like, when I was fading away, I chose to pray to you, God. And you, God, who you know we think of as Israelites, live in the temple. You live in these holy places. I tried to get as far away from you as I could. I wanted to get as far away from you as I could. But in this moment where I'm completely away from everyone and everything else, and I'm suffering and I'm in pain... I turn my face to you and I know that you hear me, the God who I believe is is even in the temple. He knows that God isn't just in the temple, but he's saying, I finally will turn my face back. This is what repentance looks like. What we're talking about is repentance, which is choosing to turn to God when we'd otherwise be turned away from God. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What are we going to look to? What are we going to turn to when things fall apart? We're going to turn to idols. We're going to turn to whatever thing that we can, that we think is going to maybe rescue us or maybe save us. And he says, people will turn to their vain idols. They will pay regard to them and they will forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those things will promise you steadfast love. They will promise to be there for you. They will promise to hear your voice, but they will not. They will forsake you in the end. If you are in this place right now, if you have ever been in this place before, I can just tell you, and I think you know how lonely it feels to be suffering like Jonah is here. But in this place, the thing that we must know, the thing that we must know is this, that God does love us. Because why would I cry out to God if I didn't think he loved me? Why in the midst of all the pain and all the suffering would I cry out to the very God who was letting this thing happen? Why? Why would I choose to cry out to him? It's the only thing I feel like I can control in this situation is not going to him with this thing because God seems like he can control everything else. We have to know on some level that God is good and that he does love us and that he does care for us. But if we don't know that on some level, if we don't believe that in even a little bit of a way, then why would we cry out to him instead of just giving up hope? 
God, like, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. He considers that's being saved. That's how bad his life is. And in that situation, he recognizes God actually does care about me. God is not going to allow me to be destroyed by what's going on. The good news is that God does not allow us to be destroyed by any of the things that we will ultimately face. Probably the most important thing that we see here is the miracle that happens of Jonah and this fish. And that's what we think about when we think about Jonah in the belly of a fish, as we think this is definitely a miracle. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Commentators have debated on whether or not this last line is like the central line of all scripture. I know that sounds like overstated. I get it. You're like, this is kind of a random place in the book of Jonah. Is that really the case? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Possessive. Salvation is a thing that God possesses and not us. He recognizes that God has saved him from death and destruction. Here's the thing about this part of the story. is We get to this part of Jonah and we go, okay, wait a second. So a fish swallowed this guy? Like we believe in that, right? Okay. So then one approach that we'll take to this is we'll go, well, you know, I, I like read some things that talked about how there's some fish that actually, if you measure the size of their stomach, that sometimes one, found, one was found to have eaten a baby deer or something or like a very large beaver. And, and that could be maybe Jonah's very small and maybe if the tides are a certain way that maybe if you look at it that they get this taste for people and they swallow them up and then there's actually a pocket of air inside and this thing can actually happen? No. Here's the deal. It says God talked to a fish and he told it to swallow Jonah. And then it said God talked to the fish and it spit him out. It vomited him out on dry land. Okay. This is miraculous. Okay. If we believe in the God of scripture, we believe in a God of miracles. We believe in a God of miraculous, a God who at his whim can absolutely get involved in, in the natural order and way of doing things and choose to do things in a miraculously different way. This is a miracle. Make no mistake about it. But the miracle is not the fact that God got a fish to swallow a person and they somehow stayed alive for three days. The miracle is what happened to that person in the midst of all of that. We read in Matthew 12 that Jesus talks about something called the sign of Jonah. He he refers to the sign of Jonah, which is an expression that he uses, and is to refer to Jonah's being in the belly of a fish for three days and then being raised to life again. And Jesus uses this to obviously foreshadow the fact that he is going to spend three days in a tomb and then ultimately come to life again. And so what Jesus is saying is that the wonder and the sign of what has happened is not just that a really big fish did something really crazy. The wonder and the sign of what is happening is that a place that ought to have been a place of death has now become a place of deliverance, a place of life. A place that was meant to be a place of death has now become a place of life. When we talk about the miracles and the things that God does with his people, what we are ultimately talking about is that God, our God, has the ability to take things that would lead to death and to use those things 
for life instead. Only God can turn a place of death into a place of life. And the Israelites are standing there at the sea and they're confronted by their enemies at their backs. This is now a place of death. And God turns it into a place of life for his people. We, if we believe in a God who does the miraculous, I think it is, I really do believe that it is far more miraculous that God meets people in this place at the absolute bottom of the bottom in our lives. And that when he meets us in this place, he has the ability to take this thing that should be destroying us and use it to bring us life. Use it to give us himself. Use it to transform us in a way that all of the best circumstances never could. Why? Because he loves us. Because the best thing that God can do is give himself to us. And if that means bringing us to the bottom in order to do that, then that's something that God loves us enough to do. You see, the thing is, there is no upside in pain. There is no point to sorrow unless you believe in a God who can pull us out of the pit. Unless you believe in a God who can meet us in that place, who can save us from the depths, who can resurrect us from the grave. Ultimately, what this is about is Jonah experiencing the grace of God, probably for the first time in his life. You know what makes for a lousy prophet is somebody who hasn't experienced the grace of God. Do you know why? Because that person thinks they have what they have because they deserve it. They think they have what they have because they're following the right rules. They've gotten together with the right group of people. They've figured things out just enough, and now they're on the right track. Maybe as a prophet, their job is to bring that message to other people. But Jonah hasn't experienced the grace of God. We know he hasn't experienced it because of his heart towards others. We know he hasn't experienced it because of how hard it is for him to trust God when he calls him to do something this difficult. But what's incredible is that Jonah meets God in this place at the end of himself, and he realizes this isn't about what I can do. This isn't about who I become. This isn't about me. This is about the all-sufficient grace of God himself. That is the greatest thing that we could ever come to understand and experience. But we will not experience it while we still have control. We won't experience it when things are going the way that we want them to go. We just know that that's true about us, about people. I've been thinking about this this last week a lot, along with this idea from Romans that really spoke to me when we went through Romans last year, which was that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. I was thinking about this, like God's kindness leads us to repentance, throws him in the ocean, right? God's kindness leads us to repentance. I don't know, he got swallowed by a fish. That doesn't seem very kind, right? How is it that God's kindness is to lead us to repentance, and yet God allows so many difficult and painful things to happen? That God has allowed you to be in places in your life that are completely dark. That God has allowed you to be in places where you feel despair. That God has allowed that to happen to people that you love. 
How is it that a God who does that is a God who we read about, his kindness is what leads us to repentance? The only way that those two things can be true is if God, in all of his kindness, is bringing us something that is ultimately the greatest thing for us, which is himself. He is the greatest thing for Jonah. And it takes Jonah sinking to the depths in order to realize that. Let's pray.